1: Welcome to
2: the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers: who they were, what they did, and how. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Viborg. Tonight, dear listener, we continue our expose of the Torso Killer, Mister Richard Cottingham. As mentioned in the last episode, this episode will be something extra special. With me tonight. I have the great pleasure of talking to Jennifer Weiss, a woman who not only talks with Richard Cottingham regularly, but has a very special relationship with the man that we will explore in more detail later on in the show. As an added bonus, the lovely introduction music you just listened to will be available as a ringtone in the next few weeks, both to Android and iPhone. Do not miss out on exciting news, such as the Kickstarter project we got going with the premium mug that changes color as it heats up. So sign up at theserialkillerpodcast.com slash me. As always, you can personally contribute to the podcast directly via Patreon at com slash donate. Any donation, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated. Welcome, Jane, to the Serial Killer Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Your story is truly fascinating and one intimately linked to none other than Richard Cottingham. Before we begin, can you tell me a bit about who you are and how you came in contact with me?
0: Thanks for allowing me to come on your show. I'm excited to talk about how I'm involved with Richard. Excited about podcast one. I I don't know anything about podcasts, but I'm excited at the opportunity. And my involvement with Richard has just started last April. So it is now a year. I am the daughter of one of his victims.
2: Very interesting. And um, where are you originally from? And where are you currently living?
0: I'm from New Jersey and I currently live not even 45 minutes from my hometown. And conveniently located only a half an hour from Richard Cottingham at the Trenton State Prison. It's also ironic that I was adopted at birth And I got a forever family at 10 weeks old, but the adoption agency is across the street from the prison. So when I went to find my birth mother and I was 26, it was just right across the street from the New Jersey State Prison.
2: That's really interesting. And uh, I've read a bit about your uh, situation on your uh, Facebook page and your homepage. And um, if I understand it correctly, your mother was Didi Godarzi. Yes. And um, you say you found out that uh, she was your mother when you were 26 years old?
0: Yes, I went back to the Children's Home Society to find out more about her. And they gave me some unpleasant newspaper articles.
2: Right. I could imagine. I mean, Richard Cottingham is a a very special case when it comes to serial killers. He stands out as especially brutal. And what happened to your mother is, um, well, it's quite terrible. And uh, one of the most, uh, well, brutal murders that I have come across in my exposés into various serial killer cases. And how did you manage to come into contact with uh, Richard Cottingham when you found out that he was the killer of your mother?
0: Initially, I didn't reach out to him when I was 26. It took me a lot of time to digest the information, and I had children and a family to focus on. I wasn't concerned about, ever. Talking to Richard Cottingham as a matter of fact I was at the other end of the spectrum and I believed that he should have probably been killed since he killed people. I was angry for a real long time because I thought for sure I'd get the chance to see my mother and that they would have her information and it would be this fairy tale meeting where I'd get to see her and I felt like he robbed me of that chance for a while I was angry. But because I can forgive people and I have a sense of humor over time with my oldest daughter, we just made a lot of dark humor jokes regarding Richard. And that kind of helped me get over his presence on the planet still. Just the fact that it was part of my life, I would make jokes about it. So I survived breast cancer, surprisingly. On a whim, I didn't even know I had it, but when I did find it right before I reached out to Richard, I got rid of it. So I was telling other women I was killing a killer that was killing me from the inside. And then I realized I could face Richie because I'm not scared of anything anymore. But I I was scared of him for a while. So it was just, it all happened at once. And uh, I didn't, didn't really ever think I could forgive him. I saw a documentary that a Canadian journalist had done in 2010 and he seemed approachable and he seemed easy to talk to. And I got jealous that he was talking to some girl who wasn't even an American girl about what was going on in his life at that time. And in the interview, he was boasting about killing up to a hundred women. And I had my own questions, but then after seeing that, I had so many more.
1: That's
2: very much understandable, I, and I must say, admirable, the way you managed to conquer your fear of this uh, dark presence in your life, and have um, managed to make it into something uh, positive in the world. But... Um, when I asked you how you came into contact with him, I meant literally as in how did you go about it? Did you contact the prison uh, what's the what's the procedure there and uh, are you meeting him face to face or are you talking with him on the phone or how does that
0: work? The procedure was online. I was able to read the rules and the regulations of the prison and He needs to add me to his visitors list in order for me to visit. And he needs to make those decisions on his own. So I thought if I wrote to him and said, hey, we're going to be friends. You're going to invite me. I'm going to be on your guest list. This is how it's going to go down. And I'll do all that and forgive you for what you did to my mom if you do all that for me and he said sure and he he said more than sure he said he was sorry he wrote me a three page apology letter and that was unexpected and he welcomed me into his life for visits and what at the time initially i was asking to come and do visits and i was asking for questions about my mother to be answered so he knew all that so i set myself up for the weekly Window visits where you see each other through glass and talk on phones. And I'll tell you about that first visit later, but there's also contact visits that you have two registration periods for on the weekends where you can sit side by side in a room full of other incarcerated individuals and their loved ones and have an extended visit, almost two hours, I guess, two two hours. And, uh, I do that with him because he shares details about his life and times. And I think it's intriguing because he lied on the YouTube video with Nadia.
2: That doesn't surprise me. Uh, Serial killers are notorious liars, but what did he lie about?
0: when he was boasting about killing up to a hundred women, he was saying what they wanted to hear. He was insinuating to me that they wanted to hear gory stuff and he didn't want to talk about any of that stuff. And he also was under the impression that American people wouldn't see it. He he's you know obviously incarcerated and doesn't understand media now.
2: Right. When he got incarcerated, the only way to get on TV was uh, was to be affiliated with uh, with the American networks and, and so on. There weren't any internet and there weren't any YouTube. Right. So I too have seen the uh, Nadia Fedzani um, interview. That is one of the things that uh, made me curious about Cottingham. And um, I've seen quite a few historical photos. I've read a bit about him. But, uh, and in the video from 2010, he looks kind of like a uh, Santa Claus. Kind of? Uh, yeah, like fat with white hair and a big white beard. But uh, when he talks, he talks with a pronounced New Jersey accent, kind of like in the show Sopranos. How does he look today?
0: Today, it's quite. He still resembles Santa, but he cut off his beard that he grew the whole time he was there. He cut it off at my request, and so there's no difference. He's still using the same accent because that's his accent, and he's still the same 300-pound weight, and that's not obese. He's just a big guy. Yeah, is is he tall? Is it like six feet or above? I don't think so, because when I look, first of all, when we have our visits, he's always seated, but we get the opportunity to take a picture side by side, and in the picture, he's not much taller than me, but, you know, old people shrink. He might have shrunk.
2: (laughs) That might be the case. And how old is he now?
0: I believe he's 72.
2: Right, he's getting on.
0: He was born in 46.
2: Yeah, that's 72 years old. So in the interview with uh, Vizzani, she asked him if he was happy to be in prison. And unsurprisingly, Cottingham answered no. I can't imagine anyone being really happy being incarcerated. But uh, what does he spend his days
0: in prison doing? He loves watching TV. He goes to church and uh he doesn't do much socializing to my knowledge.
2: Right, so mostly in his cell alone then.
0: Yes, as they all are. <laughs> oh, are they are are they isolated? They all live in prison. It's a 6x12 cell with all his belongings that He's ever had there for 40 years (laughs) he's also in a wheelchair and he has dentures he still has his sense of humor though and perfect grammar and punctuation yes
2: when I read about his childhood and uh, early career I got a very clear impression of him as a very intelligent man he worked on computers when those were in the very, very early stages. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that his punctuation and grammar is correct. And, uh, well, yeah, he does come off as as uh, as a very bright, intelligent man. So I'm going to ask you and talk about some graphic details. I hope that doesn't bother you too much. I'm fine with it. That's good to know. Because um, Richard Cottingham is a typical paraphilic person, as in he enjoyed extreme sexual torture. He liked to mutilate his victims. He used a lot of tools in his murders, such as a thick rubber hose, SM toys, gag balls, knives, and so on. When Nadia Vedzani asked him, Why did you cut off? the breasts of one of the women, and placed them on display. He answered, and I quote, to do something different. She was already dead. I wanted to create something sensational. Have you, in your talks with Richard Cottingham, heard him talk about this sort of thing in any way?
0: Yes. He wanted to confuse... Departments who were interested in finding out the killer by doing different things, it seems you can't say what he's involved with and what he's not because it doesn't seem like there's a pattern if they're doing remarkably different things with the bodies.
2: Well, that sounds a bit odd to be honest because there were very similar things. With every crime scene, especially with the breasts, almost all the victims, I think all of them actually had their nipples or nipple nearly beaten clean off by him.
0: It was escalating to be something really bad and that towards the end was what you would see. Yes, I agree on that. But he had a lot of different ways of ending people's lives. Is what I was trying to say, and the dismembering—I wouldn't say that happened all too much in the cases that people know about.
2: That's correct. That's that's very much correct. He only dismembered, I think, three of the known victims. The others, he uh, he simply cut and uh, and tortured and uh, tossed by the wayside in some way. But uh, you, you said something very interesting there, uh, Jen. You said that we know about, or that the authorities know about. Uh, do you has he told you any details about unsolved cases that he is responsible for?
0: He has only because I've done my own investigation and been had the opportunity to be involved with other victims' families, in particular, ones that waited to hear who killed their child for 40 to 50 years. So hearing about the details of those incidents and and, and being privy to that knowledge before the public is unusual it makes me feel different <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because I love telling the truth and I love talking to people about all of this but when it comes to things that aren't public knowledge that I know about it's unusual and risky because certain people would think I'm interfering with their work on cold cases if I already know about the cold cases do you know Right.
2: Have you talked to the police about this or, or are they simply not interested or what's the what's what's the process there?
0: I have talked to different PDs in different counties and when it comes to which we haven't discussed but you mentioned the dismembering of my mother there's remains of hers that no one has ever Known the location of. So when I found out the location from Richard, they didn't respond how I liked because it's a closed New York double murder case on a New Jersey, in New Jersey's where the remains are. Nobody's going to spend money on a closed case and they don't even know if he's telling the truth.
2: Right. That's fascinating, and to be clear, it's the skull of your mother that you are looking for, correct?
0: And the other unidentified young girl and their hands.
2: That's right. The uh, very infamous, or should I say, famous Jane Doe that had the misfortune of sharing your mother's fate. Has Richard told you anything more about? jane doe that might help in identifying her
0: he has not and he said on more than one occasion how he feels bad that they never were ever never were able to identify her and i always give him some kind of weird remark because he didn't even care about her why would he care that they couldn't figure out who she was You know he'll in his day and time now when he feels remorse and he looks back and he'll shake his head and he'll say no, that's such a shame that they that they could never find out who she was and I know he means that from a place as a human being would say you know that's tragic they never figured out who she was but he's also the person who took her life so I have to sometimes remind him about who the monster is.
2: Yes, as I covered in my previous two episodes on Cottingham, he is a classic psychopath, and he has a great deal of empathy with people, as in, he knows very well the impacts that his torture and murder causes, as in the pain and suffering of those around the victims and the victims themselves. But he lacks sympathy. And when asked how he felt uh, committing the crimes, and this goes back to what you said about uh, the duality of his response in that he didn't care enough about, his, about this Jane Doe to find out who she was, but still he says that it's tragic that the authorities didn't figure out who she was. This goes back to when he answered a question about how he felt When he murdered those girls, I quote again, nothing, no feeling like it didn't happen. I could pull myself into a zone to do something like that. End quote. Because I think it's extremely important to understand that all psychopaths are notorious liars. They truly do not care if they tell the truth or not. And they usually say whatever serves their purpose best at any time and are often extremely manipulative. I don't believe he didn't feel anything when he tortured his victims. And he also admits that in other uh, parts of the interview. He says he enjoyed torturing his victims and how his adrenaline rushed like nothing else could. I also think, naturally, that he got sexually aroused doing his uh, torture and and killing and raping. But you know Richard Cottingham more personally than I do. What do you think he felt before, during, and after committing
0: his murders? I do believe he felt nothing for... During the murders, I believe he didn't care about if they lived or died and didn't care who they were. It was all about
1: Get started today at plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. That's plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. Plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer.
0: I don't. After the murders, he felt great. He said he felt godlike. So he always got away with it and it felt great. It wasn't until he got caught that he cried like a baby and said he had a problem with women, which he did when he's incarcerated after 40 years doesn't have a problem with women and can tell me about times he had loving relationships with women and how he loved his family and his sisters and it's a different side of him that I talk I talk to a different Richie I don't talk to the 70s serial killing Richie And I've even asked him, is it hard for you to talk about the horrific things you did in the 70s as straight sober Richie? Like, it's hard because he's not that person anymore. Right. One of the things
2: about serial killers is that when they are on their serial killer careers and doing their killings with a Period of cooling off in between and escalating between from one murder to the next. It very much resembles an addiction, like an alcoholic or a junkie, a heroin user, or a sex addict, or something like that. And the way that former addicts talk about who they were while under the influence is very much similar to how you describe Richard now in that they don't recognize themselves uh, when they're sober compared to when they were under the influence of addiction you agree with that yes right on and going a bit back to something you mentioned earlier about him lying about uh, the number of victims. This is always central to serial killer cases. And we know that uh, Richard Cottingham killed at least six women, but authorities suspect he has killed more. And uh, Fedzani was told by Richard that he killed over 85, but under 100. And You say that he admits this to being a lie. How many people do you think Richard Cottingham has killed?
0: I think it could be up to 80 people. I can't throw any kind of number out there because we have 50 states and he got his license in 67... I think he got his license, you know, 64. I'm not sure when he got his license, but as soon as that kid got his license, it was not a good thing for women who were unattended and children even that looked like women. Because he likes to say that he didn't kill any children. But when I see the ages of some of these girls from these cold cases, I remind him that some of these women were not as old as he thought when he was on the prowl. I agree that when you're getting ready to kill somebody, you're not going to say, hey, how old are you, kid? I'm thinking about killing you. I don't want to kill you if you're too young. Like he up to 80 is accurate. It could be more.
2: Very interesting. And uh, going back to what you said about the age of his victims, how old were these children? Are we talking 15, 16, or are we talking uh, 13, 14, and that sort of thing?
0: We're talking 13 to 16. And these are just cold cases that I've been reading up on that he could be involved in and okay. that looked like it could be something he would do during his beginning years of killing and all the different ways but then all the similar things that line up you know strangulation is a big he loved to strangle so right
2: i was going to ask you about that because uh, that is one of the things that um that wasn't really clear when I was doing research about Richard. I, I know that he uh, he strangled quite a lot of them, usually from the front in order to see the light go out of their eyes. But um, I don't think he killed all of them by strangulation. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. And a lot of the women he was with didn't always have to die.
2: Yes, that's correct. Uh, There are several that that survived and actually testified against him. I think uh, Weissenfeld or something uh, was was one of them.
0: But also, Uh, there's girls that he was with that he didn't hurt.
2: Yeah, also, I'm not surprised by that because, um, uh, like many serial killers, he bought sex. He used prostitutes to get his rocks off, and uh, this is quite common. Uh, Have you heard about Joel Rifkin or Arthur Shawcross? I haven't. uh, Ah, well, this is interesting, because you should be interested in that, because Joel Rifkin, Edmund Kemper, and Arthur Shawcross, uh, they all operated in New York and New Jersey, just as Cottingham did. And uh, they operated from the late 70s up until early 90s. And uh, all of them murdered prostitutes. Uh, They did not kill all of their victims. Usually, they actually just had sex, sometimes violently. But sometimes when the prostitutes looked at them the wrong way, didn't do exactly as they wanted, they killed them. Often by strangulation. And uh, Arthur Shawcross, very similarly to uh, Cottingham, uh, mutilated the bodies afterwards uh, and removed the head of some of his victims. And even he looked like a, a bit like Cottingham, very similar uh, size, same accent, kind of stocky looking. So um, he passed away back in 08. But uh, yeah, that's quite interesting that there were this trio of, um, of killers with a very, very similar MO operating in the same area in the same time frame. Isn't so, that
0: uh, awful?
2: Oh, yeah. It's um, the late 70s and um, 80s were what I like to call the golden age of serial mm-hmm. killers. America had a real big problem with sexual psychopaths going unchecked in society back then. And um, New York, and you probably know this far better than I do, but New York in the uh, late 70s and and 80s were a very, very hard place with a lot of crime and uh, degeneracy. Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. Back to you and uh, your relationship with Richard Cottingham. You said that, uh, that you had found out where your mother's skull verse was located. Have you been to that area, or what do you know about it?
0: I have been to the area. It's going to be a tough one for me to do without a little bit of help. Because, like I said, it's a closed New York City case. These remains are in New Jersey. The place is being watched. There's someone in a booth in this area because it's a terrorist watch spot in this day and age because it's near a prominent New York City landmark that I guess, you know, it's a, it, it could be blown up if there was a terrorist attack. And... Uh, so that's, that's interesting, but I was hoping to get a grant and take students with me that were interested in forensics, high school level or college level. And if I got a grant, then we could do that for educational purposes with them.
2: That sounds very interesting. Am I correct in assuming that you do not wish to tell our dear listeners the name of their location?
0: I can't because it's in the upcoming book
2: I see I see we are going to go into detail about the book a bit later on going back to the search you said that uh, that you were hoping for um, for a grant uh, for educational purposes perhaps some of my dear listeners could help you out is that something you would you would be interested in Definitely. So tell our dear listeners, how can they get into contact with you regarding any help they can provide in in performing this search or getting into contact with the people giving grants and that sort of thing?
0: I do have a Facebook page and that's a great way to talk to me about any of the Richard Cottingham related stuff, it's facebook.com slash I am Jennifer Weiss, W E I S S. And I've already been to a couple high schools in New Jersey to talk about restorative justice and Richard and myself. For people who don't know what restorative justice is, it's a victim based criminal justice where you and the offender get to work things out with a mediator if need be, but I didn't need a mediator since Richard agreed to talk with me and I forgave him. And all of this is part of a restorative justice project. And I do call it serial killers need hugs too. And I am hoping to get some help when I bring a cadaver dog team to look for my mother's skull. So if anybody has or knows anyone, high school or college level forensics, I'd love any and all help or support. I
2: see. My agent mentioned to me that, that you had performed some DNA, uh, match searches, um, Am I totally off ma- off the mark if I ask you if you suspect that Richard may be your father?
0: I did suspect that after my first window visit with him last year. My my first question was was killing my mother a random act or did you know my mother? And he said I knew your mother f- for years and We had a relationship. He had a relationship with many women that he was paying. You know, he had a lot of girlfriends and he had a wife. So for him to say, I had a relationship with her, it didn't mean they were exclusive, but it meant they had sexual relations on many occasions. So I said, is it possible that you could be a DNA match to me? And he said, it's possible. So that is why I wanted to get a DNA test done. I haven't yet. I just received the legal papers for it. I waited a whole year because I gave him the opportunity to help me out in getting this done with maybe anybody he deals with at the prison or in any police department. You know, I was hoping to get it done sooner because he said he would try to see if he could get it done for me. But since we haven't, that's why I'm going to try to do it myself.
2: That is very, very interesting. I hope you'll let me know when you get the results.
0: Of course, I'm going to let everyone know.
2: Great. And um, if he is your father, do you wish to have a familial relationship with him, even though he is who he is?
0: I have a relationship with him regardless, and it seems familial because there's times when we fight like father and a daughter would, or there's times he'll give me advice that a father would. And he's sweet to me as a father would be to his child because we have gotten close during this time, and I've had to... Face challenges with either police departments or people in his actual DNA uh, gene pool. I've had to face challenges and roadblocks with him that we've overcome, and it's made us closer as uh, two people in a relationship. And regardless of whether this test comeback says positive or negative, I'm still going to care about him as an incarcerated individual who's an old man and it's not going to change how I feel about him. And it's not going to change how I feel about myself. It's just simply going to be so nice to get the answer. Actually, I just want to know if it is or not.
2: Understandably, that sounds actually quite productive. So let's move on to your book project. I've read on (laughs) your page that you are working together with an author of a book called Sons of Cain. Can you tell me a bit about that project?
0: Yes. Peter Vronsky wrote his first serial killer book, The Method and Madness of Monsters. In that book, he had mentioned Richard and mentioned that in passing, At the hotel that Richard was fleeing with my mother's skull, Peter was checking into that same hotel. So it it inspired him to include him in his Serial Killers, The Method and Madness of Monsters. So I had reached out to him because he had already written a book about Richard. And I said, hey, if you're interested in Richard still and you want to write a book about me and him and you, why don't you think about it. And he thought about it and agreed. And since I had called him while he was finishing up Sons of Cain, A History of Serial Killers from the Stone Age to the Present, which comes out August 2018, he added my story and my calling him to the end of his book. So it was just pretty awesome opportunity for me to be introduced into this true crime genre with Peter and his new book Sons of Cain
2: fantastic I think uh, that title is really good I love it it's um, <laughs> it's very fitting especially when it's uh, serial killers from the Stone Age until modern times so um let me be a bit egotistical here for a bit Jen. I am, as you might uh, have understood by now, very, very, very interested in getting in contact with Richard Cottingham. Are you able in any way to help me achieve this goal?
0: Definitely. I've put my friends in contact with Richard. He doesn't really talk to anybody, especially guys. I'm his only friend. I'm the only one that visits him. But... When I ask him to put people on a guest list, he'll say yes. And when I tell him, hey, this person's going to contact you. I want you to talk to them. He takes it into consideration and he makes his own choice. But when it comes to you talking to him, if you would like to, you could add him on an app called JPay. introduce yourself and say, hey, I'd love to get to know you and see what he says. (laughs) J-Pay. Yes, it's an app where you can correspond with an incarcerated loved one. They all get the opportunity to go up to this kiosk machine and check emails and download songs. And if they're lucky enough and they have enough money in their account, they can buy a J player and bring it back to their cell and write out longer emails and listen to music and then upload their letters to the kiosk. I taught him about all of that. He had no idea what it was. And uh, that's how you can communicate with him. But if you wanted to communicate with him through me, that's a different conversation
2: no i would preferably uh, like to talk to him directly yeah but that that's, that's that's fantastic jpay the app and uh, what information do i put in in order to find him just richard cottingham or is it an uh, inmate number or how does that work
0: it would be the department of corrections in new jersey you're able to choose i guess from a screen shows you which prison you're looking for and then you find uh which prison and richard's number actually is zero 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 three seven eight five one six a as in apple
2: zero zero three seven eight five one six a
0: just add one more zero to the beginning. It's three zeros and then a three. All right. Every inmate has the three zeros and a three. But ironically, the last numbers of his inmate number is a compilation of my birthday numbers. So my birthday is five, one, six, seven, eight. And when I go to visit Richard, I have to say to them, Seven eight five one six A. It's it's my birthday.
2: Right, that's quite a coincidence. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you so much for that information, and uh, to my dear listeners, now you know what's going on with the podcast in the future. So uh, stay tuned regarding that and my uh, quests of uh, interviewing a real-life serial killer. So, Jen, have you listened to my podcast? I did. What do you think about it? What's the thing you like the most, and what's the things you dislike the most?
0: I have no dislikes. I think the podcast that you did on Richard was informative obviously I like your voice. I think everyone will agree. I don't have a lot of experience with podcasts, but I'm interested because lots of people drive to work and probably would love to hear a podcast instead of the radio. And so I think the whole thing is enjoyable. The only thing I was wondering about was if, in the future, if you ever brought up Richard's children, that you would just mention the real name for his son was Blair, not Brian. That was the only thing that was wrong. Oh, (laughs) wow. Thank you. But that (laughs) was
2: it. Thanks for the correction. (laughs) I'll uh, make sure to. uh...
0: Everything else was perfect.
2: Ah, glad to hear it. Thank you so much. So, and uh, we are nearing the end of this interview, Jen. But uh, I like to ask my interviewees some of the same things. First off, which, aside from Richard Cottingham, serial killer do you find most fascinating, if any?
0: I don't find serial killers fascinating. I just find Richard fascinating. And... I don't know anything about any other serial killers, actually. So when people post on my wall, you should see this or you should read that, I usually don't because I don't want that stuff in my brain.
2: And um, do you have anything you would like to say to my dear listeners or do you perhaps have any questions for me
0: before we finish? No, I'm just grateful and thankful for the opportunity. And if you ever want to talk about more or... Once I find out the results of the test, and you want to talk to me live on the podcast, I will. I'm so psyched!
2: Fantastic. I'll make sure to uh, to contact you if um, if and when that comes up. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Jen. It has been a true pleasure talking with you. And uh, do say hello to Mr. Cottingham from me.
0: I will, and thank you to all the listeners. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical,
2: and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns
0: on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: And so ends part three of the tale of Richard Cottingham. As you just heard, dear listener, I might be able to get in contact with the killer himself in the near future. If this happens, then that will be the final part of my series on this very fascinating serial killer case. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. I have been your host, Thomas Warburg Doing this podcast is a labor of love. Also, this podcast has been able to bring Serial Killer stories to life thanks to you, dear listener, and especially those of you that support me via Patreon. You can do so at theserialkillerpodcast.com slash donate. There are especially a few patrons that have stayed loyal for a long time. Maud, Wendy, Craig, Charlotte, Tommy, Sarah, Sid and Meg, Nick, Lisbeth, Kelly, Jason, and Philip. Your monthly contributions really help keep this podcast thriving. You have my deepest gratitude. As always, thank you, dear listener, for listening. And feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast app or website. And please do subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. Thank you. Good night and good luck.